0: So grateful that you would come uh, and join us this evening on Good Friday. of course, this is a bittersweet holiday it's a huge holiday for the christian uh, christian calendar it's one of the the big ones uh, for us and of course like i' had said it's it's really a bittersweet day in a lot of ways it's a an incredible sorrow as we remember some really painful things about the world, uh, but also it's this really great joy as we can celebrate and remember what an amazing sacrifice it is that Jesus made uh, for each and every one of us. I, I personally think it's important for us to not skip to the punchline of Easter, right? And I, as I think we can oftentimes think of things in a way that might cheapen uh, what comes before, right? Because if you would think about these people who are experiencing this in, in, uh, its original form, most of them had no concept of Jesus being raised from the dead. And so they had to enter into this unbelievable sorrow and not knowing. And so I think it's important for us to not just jump um, ahead, because I think it might not um, mean as much in a way, and we can miss this really mysterious and wonderful and even in a way horrible thing uh, that happened to Jesus. And so let me say this as I get started, and it's this, I believe that Jesus is the savior of the world. And, and, um, and I know I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to say that, but I wanna say that I actually believe that. Like I really think the world is really messed up in a lot of ways, but I, I truly believe that Jesus is the last and only hope for humanity. I honestly believe that. And that, that's all about the cross. And so it's all about tonight. Uh, I'd like to show you a painting. This is uh, the Crucifixion by Matthias Grünewald. He's a he's a fifteenth century German Renaissance painter. I like it because it's not like overly morbid or gory, but it's also not silly. So this is personally for me, if I'm going to have some imagery that when it comes to the crucifixion, I, I personally like this painting the best. But I think it's interesting if you would look at it and if someone were to ask you this question, like, who is that tortured, dying man? Who is that? Well, the Christian would look and say, oh, that's God. And if that's not at least a little bit shocking to you, then I would argue that you have possibly become a bit too familiar with the crucifixion, right? There should be something on the inside of you that looks at that and says, like, how can that be God, right? If Christianity hadn't existed and instead you were just left to create your own God, how you think uh, is, you know, would work best, you certainly would not have created that. Right, like that, that, uh, A dying man, a, a man dying at the hands of his own creation, right? A God dying by his own, cre- it's not how you show an omnipotent God. It's not how you show an all-powerful God, yet this is God, right? And in fact, we would say paradoxically, there is no clearer picture of who God is than when Jesus is hanging on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So tonight what we're going to do, I won't keep you for a super long time, but what I want to do is I want you to enter into the story. I don't have like, you know, three points or anything like that, but I just want to tell the story of the Passion Week. And so the invitation is to come with me. Tonight we are not at the Believer Center of Albuquerque in 2019. Our hearts and our minds are in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And it's the week leading up to Good Friday. So it's the Holy Week. And we are one of the pilgrims who have come to believe in Jesus, specifically that Jesus is the Messiah. And by that we mean Jesus is the one who has come to liberate us from oppression. And so we have followed Jesus on this journey from Galilee, and we're just arriving into Jerusalem. And it's Sunday what we would call Palm Sunday. Uh, we arrive in Jerusalem and G- Jesus comes and he enters the city on a donkey, right? And not a full-grown donkey, a colt, right? Which is a tiny little baby donkey. It's a hysterical picture. Um, I, I like to picture his feet touching the ground as he rides this tiny little donkey into Jerusalem. It's not an accident, right? What, what's happening here is it's a parody of the great rulers of the day. See, you have to understand that this same week, this is the week of Passover, Pilate, you guys know Pontius Pilate, Pilate, who is the Roman governor, he's also coming into town. Uh, he doesn't live in Jerusalem, right? He doesn't care much for commoners. Uh, Pilate has a lovely home on the seaside uh, right off of the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, you can still go to the ruins today and see uh, Pontius Pilate's mansion. I have a picture of it. Uh, It's right next to Herod the Great in the city named for Caesar Caesarea, and it's Passover, right? And so this is the Jewish holiday where we come to celebrate and remember our liberation from tyranny. And so for us Jews in this scene, it's not uncommon for us to get super pumped about freedom. And then we're reminded, especially in Passover, that we're still a people under, uh, under oppression. We are still under the thumb of the Rome, now the Roman Empire. And so it wasn't uncommon for the Jews to decide to revolt and re- bell, specifically at Passover. This actually happened multiple times. And so the Roman governor, he's the governor of the oppressive, the oppressing nation or yeah empire, that he, he can't just sit back and just assume that everything is going to happen fine at Passover. He has to come and oversee. And so the same week, we have both Jesus and Pilate arriving into Jerusalem but Pilate, unlike Jesus, he is not riding a donkey. No, he, no, no, no. He's riding a majestic war horse, right? And, and surrounding Pilate as he enters into the city are people that say, behold the mighty governor full, who's great and powerful, full of strength and glory and dignity. And he's Dignified and upright with huge horse. Meanwhile, there's this peasant preacher prophet guy uh, from Nowheresville, Nazareth, right Nowheresville, Galilee, uh, and he's riding he's riding a donkey, not a horse, but he's riding a donkey in, and he's surrounded by the poor who is proclaiming that Jesus is the true king. So you can see there's this this kind of contrast here between, between Pilate and Jesus. It's a ridiculous picture that you would see Jesus who's um, riding in on the small donkey. You could even see in picture, maybe people laughing. But we don't think it's that funny, right? With palm branches waving, we say this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. See, we believe that Jesus is the true King. Enough of Herod, enough of Caesar. It's time for Jesus to be King. That's Palm Sunday. Which brings us to Monday. So Monday, Jesus, he goes, he goes to the temple and in an act of prophetic symbolism, he flips the tables, right? He cleanses the temple. Uh, and what he's doing here, how is he cleansing the temple? What he's doing is he's condemning religious exploitation. See, these people were using religion to control and to exploit and to manipulate. And Jesus comes in and he says, this my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of thieves. And so he's humiliated the, rigid, the religious rulers. And from this moment on, they begin to plot how they might kill Jesus. The problem is, uh, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a big festival, right? It's the Passover. He, Jesus is too popular, so they can't kill him now, but they will kill him. The empire always strikes back. <laughs> Always, right, and so so they're thinking, but they can't kill him right now. He's too popular. There's going to be a riot. So instead, what they do is they just have to wait for their opportunity to strike. Which brings us to uh, Wednesday. We're going to skip ahead. So on Wednesday, there's a meal in the village of Bethany. Of course, you guys know the story of Mary and her alabaster box filled with twenty five thousand dollars worth of perfume. And she, it says this, and she took the expensive ointment and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And people criticized her for it. People thought this was an egregious waste of money. But Jesus, in response, he actually defends her. And he says this, leave her alone. She did a beautiful thing. She is anointing me for my burial. So, and, and even after all of this, what's amazing is that the disciples of Jesus still have no idea about Jesus' coming death. But Jesus, of course, sees that something's happening here. Jump forward to uh, Thursday, Jesus and the disciples, they sit down for dinner. Uh, right? And it, that's not a new thing. The, the disciples and Jesus, they ate together all the time. But what they did not realize is that this is the last time they would be together as the 12 nor did they realize that this was the last time they would be with Jesus before he was killed. It's really a shame, I think, in a lot of ways that it's called the Last Supper because I really think it's, in a lot of ways, the first of many suppers that are a lot like this. For 2,000 years now, the church has remembered and celebrated this exact moment where Jesus is sitting with his disciples. It is a scene that is written on my arm with very permanent ink, Right, years later, of course, Paul, when remembering um, this, he, he would describe it as our participation in the body and blood of Christ. And following, following dinner, the mood of Jesus changes drastically, right? Judas, who's one of the 12, he slips away and he goes to the chief priests, right, who are wanting to kill Jesus. And he comes to them and he tells them this, look, I know what you want. I know that what you're wanting to do is you're wanting to arrest Jesus and you're wanting to kill him, but I know that you can't because Jesus is too popular. And if you would arrest him, there would be a riot, but perhaps I could arrange a meeting where you would be able to apprehend him in private. And a deal was struck 30 pieces of silver. So later Jesus goes, uh, he's troubled and he goes to the garden to pray. He's in anguish and he's troubled and he's afraid and that's when they come for him, right? It's the temple police led by Judas who walks up to Jesus and betrays him with a kiss. And in this moment, Jesus is arrested and taken away. So following Jesus' arrest, he's taken to the house of Caiaphas. It's a new uh, new name for you. He Caiaphas is the high priest, right? And so it's taken to his house. His house is not as much a house. It's more like uh, a palace. And uh, in front of the religious council, Jesus is questioned. And Caiaphas places Jesus under oath, and he says this, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus says, it is as you say. And then Caiaphas tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. See, there was just one problem though for the religious council and it's this. They're not allowed to execute anybody. They would love to kill Jesus, but they can't. They're not allowed. That is a right that the Romans have have reserved specifically for uh, themselves. And so they need Pontius Pilate. They need Pilate to come and oversee the execution. But as luck would have it, he's in town. We can go get him tomorrow. And they're they're thinking to themselves, Pilate, he's soft. He's gonna crack. We will execute Jesus, but it will have to wait till morning. And so there's this water cistern uh, in Pilate's house that's turned into a dungeon. It's really a shame that a religious priest would have a dungeon in his house, but that's the story. Uh, And so that's where church tradition will tell us that that's where Jesus was kept overnight uh, awaiting his execution. He's lowered down from the top. This is the same thing that happened to Jeremiah six centuries earlier when he protested uh, the temple. And you can actually go there today. You can go to Pilate's house and see uh, this. This dungeon that he has in his house, it's overseen by Franciscan monks. Uh, in fact, I have a picture of it. This is, uh, this is the cistern turned into a dungeon. Um, you'll notice there that in the corner, there's a small pulpit. And on that pulpit sits a notebook. And in that notebook, it's Psalm chapter 88 in every kind of language. So it's Psalm 88 in French, in English, in Spanish, in Portuguese, right? All the all these different languages. And so you might be thinking like, well, what's that about? Like why why Psalm 88? Well, Psalm 88 is known specifically as the Psalm of the Pit. And it's likely, probably in my opinion and others, it's likely the darkest Psalm in the entire Bible. This is where the psalmist is writing of despair and falling apart and falling into absolute darkness and church the reason that it's in this place is that church history tells us that when Jesus was alone in the pit that he could be heard praying Psalm chapter 88. So I wonder if you could imagine him being alone in absolute darkness, waiting for the death that he knows is coming um, and reciting this this prayer. Allow me to read a little bit for you. Psalm 88, O Lord, my God, my Savior, by day and night I cried to you. Let my prayer enter into your presence. Incline your ear to my lamentation for I am full of trouble. My life is at the brink of the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I have become like one who has no strength, lost among the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the depths of the pit, in dark places and in the abyss. You have put my friends far from me. You have made me to be abhorred by them. I am in prison and cannot go free. But as for me, O Lord, I cry to you for help. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Lord, why have you rejected me? Why have you hidden your face from me? Ever since my youth, I have been afflicted and at the point of death, I have borne your terrors with a troubled mind. They surround me all day long like a flood. They encompass me on every side. My friends and my neighbor, you have put away from me and darkness is my only companion. And in this moment, Jesus sits and he waits for the sun to rise on his execution. Which brings us to a Good Friday, John chapter 18. It says this, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. To this is Pilate. They have to bring him to Pilate for the execution. It was early morning. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to him, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Like do it yourself. The Jews said to him, yeah, we, we like to, but it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, "Are you the king of the Jews?" Right? So this is Pilate. This is Pilate saying like, "Why don't you guys just try him yourself?" And they're saying, "We would love to, but we can't kill anybody." So that's why we need to bring him to you. And so Pilate brings him in to his quarters and he asks this question, "Are you the king of the Jews?" And that's the question for Pilate. See, Pilate is Pilate is not a, um, he's, he has, he's not a religious person. He has no interest in some obscure Jewish religion who is and is not the Messiah. That is not a concern uh, to Pilate, right? And people are confused by this, so let me explain it to you just briefly. So the people who are plotting to kill Jesus are the religious council led by Caiaphas, right? And the accusation for them is blaspheming God, Right, but the problem is they didn't have the power to kill anybody, so they have to take him to uh, Pilate, who's the Roman governor. And Pilate is not a religious man, but he absolutely has the power to have someone killed. But see, these religious people that they're smart, they know that if, if Pilate's going to agree to kill him, it's not going to be for blasphemy. Pilate cares nothing about blasphemy, it's going to have